Well, here in a few, we're going to turn our Bibles to uh, Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3. If you're joining with us for the first time this morning, we come to the third act of four acts in this book. That means uh, we are two-thirds of the way through this series, but three-quarters of the way through this series, uh, Pastor Math. And um, we're going to spend a good amount of time this morning recapping on this story because it's the kind of story that builds one piece on top of another. Um, And this is a rich story of God's love. It's not only a story of the love that we find between family, as we have already with Naomi and Ruth. It's not only a story that we find love between a man and a woman, as we're going to find this morning between Ruth and Boaz. But more importantly, this is a story of the love that God has for you and for me. And what's ironic about it, though, what's ironic about this book and this story is that it doesn't begin there. In fact, this book really begins in a pure tragedy. In fact, it forces this question about God's love, right? It asks this question of where is a loving God when life hurts? Ever been there? Where is God when you can't see him? What is God doing when you can't understand his ways or feel his goodness? So two weeks ago, go back with me. We, we opened up to this woman named Naomi and her husband, Elimelech. And this family was in desperate times. They knew there was a famine in their homeland that was threatening life itself. And so they left everything they knew and hoped for this new life in this foreign land. But from the moment that they arrived, all they found was what? Death. Imagine with me just walking into a funeral home and try to picture what it would be like to bury your entire family. First, Naomi's husband dies. We're not told why or how. Then her two boys married to these local women. They hit the exact same track and they die too. With no, no warning, no heads up. By the end of scene one, all that's left is this Hebrew woman and her two daughters-in-law sitting in ruins. Nearly everything Naomi had was taken from her. As I said last Sunday, she was a modern-day joke. Her home, her land, her husband, her boys, gone, vanished, vapor. All that was left was these three widows and broken dreams. So Naomi told the girls last Sunday, she said, I'm going back home. She had heard that the, the Lord had visited his people back in their hometown there was this food that was in abundance again. And so in desperation, she decides to go back where the nightmare began. And again, just try to picture that scene with, with Naomi sobbing and begging these two wives of her deceased sons to let her go. Because she knew that if they stayed with her, that to follow her would be to remove all hope for themselves. Again, stay with me. The first part of the story is key. So what happens? One let go. Orpah said, you know what? You're right. I'm going to rebuild my life here. But the other refused. And we're introduced to this woman named Ruth for the first time. The first thing we learn about her is she's a clinger. She said, no, no, no. I'm coming with you. And as that curtain closed and we saw that first scene two Sundays ago go away, we were left with this aching question of how does a young woman rebuild her life with an aging mother-in-law hanging on her side in a place where she's now the foreigner. Where is God when you can't see him? Weeks ago, when we, we opened up those pages, you could feel the anxiety in the conversation. You know, Naomi was arguing with her. She said, no, 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 you don't get it. This is a mistake. You stay here. I'm going home. Just let me go. 
Ruth wouldn't budge. Remember those famous words? She said, wherever you go, I'm going. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. I'm like a fungus. Those are my words. You're never getting rid of me. She even went so far as to say, I'll die with you. So two weeks ago, we closed that first chapter. We went about our week. Monday through Saturday, intermission. And then last Sunday, we popped back up for the next scene. And by chapter two, Naomi's back home with her friends and her neighbors, and she's literally wrestling with depression. She tells this crowd, she said, call me bitter. She's in a full-on faith crisis. The Lord has dealt bitterly with me. But as the lights come back up, we now pan from Naomi's life over to this mysterious character named Ruth. If you didn't catch it before, she was a determined woman. She had this steadfast way about her. And as Naomi sits in these ashes, Ruth goes into this field as a foreign woman in an unknown land, and she's hoping that maybe by some chance, by God's grace, she'll get some leftovers from the abundant harvest that Naomi had promised. And by God's grace, she gets permission to glean the field. So now the tide begins to turn, and this landowner named Boaz, he now comes on scene, and he immediately notices this woman who's out of place. She's out in the field with all the workers and he, he wants to know, what is that woman's story? Who is that over there? So his lead servant, he tells him all that Ruth had done, right? For her mother-in-law, how she had come from this land to a foreign land. And Boaz is overcome by this woman's compassion. So first he, he invites Ruth over for dinner. Then he fed her a fancy meal. He, he leaves her with leftovers to take home. And then he puts this hedge of protection around her. And he tells his servants, you make sure that if she goes back in that field, she's left with far more than she can carry when she comes home. He told her, you should have a full reward for your faithfulness. So that night, Ruth goes skipping back home. She tells her mother-in-law all that's happened. And for the first time now, we see a light appear. Maybe God's here. Ruth was feeling quite good about her day and things had turned out better than expected, Right? But what Ruth didn't know was that her reward was just beginning, that God's plan of redemption was already unfolding. See, Naomi told her, she said, do you even realize who Boaz is? Do you know who you met today? Ruth said, yeah, he's a good guy. He helped me out. Naomi said, no, no, no. Boaz is family. You stumbled onto the family farm. And not only is he family, but he's this thing called a kinsman redeemer. We learned last week how important that word is. In Hebrew, the word is goel, goel. And by God's law, the, the goel was the, this redeemer for the family who was this distant relative on deck for when your life hit rock bottom. The goel had this, this ability to redeem the absolute worst that a family could go through. He could, by law, avenge a family member's death. He could repurchase land sold in, in hard times on behalf of the family. And here's the most important part. He could redeem the family lineage by marrying a widow who was left behind. This in many ways is a, a foreign world to us, right? But in the context where the patriarch held 100% of power, where, where wealth and status were passed down from one man to another, this glimmer of life was everything to these women. Without a man to redeem them, Ruth and Naomi were now lost. And again, the... The curtain closes a second time. 
And we were left all this week wondering, now what? So this morning, we're going to turn to scene three, and it's worth the wait. And I'll tell you why. Um, we're going to find how God, this God who knows every detail of your life, is working even when you can't see him. But for me to make my points, um, we're going to walk through probably one of the most blush-worthy chapters in all of scriptures. You've got to love a, a good love story. Um, this is the kind of chapter you'd probably skip over if your mother was with you in the room, which is hilarious for a few of you because that's your case right now. But it's God's word to us, right? And it's a good word to us. So, so turn with me to chapter three. We're going to jump head over heels into this thing, pun intended. Chapter three, we're going to read all the way through this, this chapter and pick up where we left off last Sunday. So just listen to this word. So Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to Ruth, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he's winnowing barley tonight on the threshing floor. So wash, therefore, anoint yourself, put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he'll tell you what to do. She replied, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. He said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after the young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there's a redeemer nearer than I so remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, then good. Let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. So she laid his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. He said, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it. He measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then, he, then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? She told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle this matter today. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. All right, let's get sappy for a minute. This is now a full-on love story, right? It has all the elements of the classic romance. Girl meets boy out in the field. Boy takes her out for dinner. Girl tells mom about her date. Mom tells her he's the one. Girl and mom now plan to win him over. Well, let's just slow this down a bit. That's what we've been doing a lot with this story. If I were to ask you what love is, how would you begin to define that word? Where would you start? 
You know, it's crazy. Of all the words in the English language, I, I feel like love is the most difficult one for us to pin down. You know, some say it's an emotion, right? You, you, can, you can feel it. But it's got to be more than that, right? And so maybe you say love is an action, and that's true. It, it has to be felt and experienced, not just heard. But still, that really doesn't explain the phenomenon. You know, scientists have tried for centuries to, to understand where love comes from, what it is, what it means, but there's really no formula. Love is the kind of thing that when you see it, you know it, right? 1 Corinthians 13, it's one of the most well-known verses in all of Scripture. It's, it's really what defines love for us. We hear it all the times at weddings, but just say this with me. Say this out loud with me. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You know, some say this story is the, the greatest romance in all of scripture. And this morning, I wanna show you why that is. Because this chapter of Ruth carries every one of those elements that 1 Corinthians talks about. Patience, kindness, selflessness, joy, bearing all things, believing all things, hoping in all things. With that lens, I wanna talk about this story one line at a time, but as we do that, this is the overarching question that I want us to stay focused on. Look at this up on the screens. What does this love story teach us about God when we can't see him? If this is really a biblical romance, and it is, as God's words to us, it has to be more than just a story about a boy and a girl. What does this teach us about God's love? We're going to leave that question up on the screens for the entire lesson, aside from the scriptures. As we do that, I want you to just walk this out with me. Look at this verse by verse. First verse of the chapter. Then Naomi said to Ruth, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that might be well for you? The first place that we find evidence of love in this chapter is not between Boaz and Ruth. It's between Naomi and Ruth. First, Ruth had given up everything to follow her mother-in-law, right? And what could be more loving than to lay down your life for someone you love? But now in return, Naomi seems to be coming out of this bitter place, and she's now on a mission. And in this love, she asks Ruth, she says, is it not my job to find rest for you? Two weeks ago, our, our word, we, we seem to be in the R words for this series. Our, our word was return. Do you remember that? We talked about what it is to return to the Lord as Naomi had returned to her homeland. After that, we talked about the word refuge and what it means to seek refuge under the wing of the Lord. This morning, the word is rest. Is it not my job to find rest for you? It's an interesting question, right? We should unpack that because that question alone makes a glaring assumption. It tells us that from Naomi's viewpoint, Ruth is restless. Let me just keep this relevant. Here's where we come in. When you can't understand what God's doing in your life, how restful are you? You know, the unknown, at least in my own life, it, it can become this restless trigger, right? Can it not? And from the very beginning of this book, we, we find that there is this prayer for rest that's already been asked for. All the way back in the first chapter, when disaster struck and everything fell apart, both women are before Naomi. This is her exact prayer for them. Look at this, Ruth 1, verse 9. 
She said, the Lord grant that you might both find rest, each of you in the house of your husband. How are you with that word rest these days? You know, if you think about it, our society is really not conditioned for that word. We, we don't understand what it means to rest, to be in God's Sabbath, to, to enjoy peace. It's, it's really a concept entirely absent. But in Hebrew, the, the word that Naomi uses for rest is this word called Manoah. And Manoah is hard to translate um, back into English, but if you really spell it out, it would be to carry this sense of contentment in your life with you. To make yourself at home again, right? Manoah is the place where we find peace within. And the unspoken reality is at that time, if you were Ruth, until you found another man in your life, you would be in every sense of the word restless. As a young female in this male-dominated world, she had no status, she had no standing, she had no security, she had no privilege, she had nothing. You know, we might not live in that context, but we understand the feeling. We know what it means to be restless, to live restless lives. We live in a day and age where we know full well this word, restless. You know, the things that we know make us nervous about what we don't know, right? The current reality that we're all sitting in, it makes you wonder, what's, what's going to happen tomorrow? The market's whipping back and forth, cancel culture at its worst we're a nation that's more and more divided every day. We now hear rumors of wars overseas. Life is restless. How do you find rest again? See, for Naomi, if Ruth is gonna find this word rest in her life, it's rooted in this kinsman redeemer. She tells Ruth, this man named Boaz, he's not just our family, he could redeem all of this. He's the goel, he's the, the rescuer. If you could hitch to him, we'd be covered again. And by verse three, this is my favorite part. We get these two women strategizing behind the scenes. I mean, really, this is Naomi's plan, but just look at this. Look at this in verse three. She tells Ruth, she says, go get cleaned up, anoint yourself with oil. In other words, put on a little perfume, get your smell good on and get that dress on, girl. We're going to the ball. Culturally speaking, this, this ritual of cleanup, it was a way of Ruth signaling to, 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 uh, to Boaz, that she's a woman no longer in mourning, that she's now available. Right, but you can't go out in the middle of the day as a foreign woman and make your proposal. You'd break every taboo in culture. They've got to do it by night. So Naomi devises this plan in verse four. She says, look, he's going to be out working his winnowing fork on the threshing floor when he lies down for the night, absorb where he falls, falls down, and then go and cover his feet and lie down there. And he'll tell you what to do. A threshing floor was uh, where you would take your fork and you would separate the stock from the chaff, right? You would, you would throw it into the breeze and then what fell back down on the floor, what remained was your grain. But imagine, just imagine this. Ruth has snuck into this place at dusk. She's waiting for the opportune moment to talk. She's hiding in the shadows all purdied up. It might just be because I'm, I'm, I'm a father of two girls, but this seems a little scandalous, doesn't it? Boaz falls asleep, just as Naomi said. Ruth sneaks over, lifts the covers, and waits. Now, we've got to take a quick contextual pause here, and, and let's talk about bed sheets for a minute, because this is where we get things mixed up. Why would Naomi tell Ruth to uncover this man's feet in the middle of the night? And this is a conservative culture, right? That's a bold plan. 
You know, scholars debate this, and I've heard all the arguments over the years. Some say it was a, a physical symbol of desire for him. Put a romantic spin on the moment. Others say, well, it's a, it's a, Hebrew, a Hebrew euphemism for something much more than went down, if you get my drift. Let me be clear, though. Here's my take. Both those interpretations are dead wrong. We have to be really careful not to take all of our cultural baggage of the bachelorette and put it on this passage. You know, God's word tells us Ruth was a woman of noble character, right? Boaz was a man who he and his field feared the Lord. And therefore, I think the best explanation for this act was that Ruth knew if she exposed his feet, then would come in the cold breeze on the threshing floor, which would wake him up. And that's exactly what happens, right? It's pitch dark. He's, he's terrified. He startles awake and he says, who are you? There's a woman in my room. She says, I'm Ruth. Would you spread your wings over your servant? You're my redeemer. Let me just translate that. With this bold and audacious move, Ruth just proposed marriage to Boaz. Reminds me of the day that I proposed to Jen. We, uh, we hiked up this mountain just outside Fort Collins, Colorado, and I had this guitar hidden around the, the corner of the rocks overlooking the city. My friends were in the bushes below with their cameras. Jen thought she was coming in for a snack break. I pulled out the guitar and sang her this song. And at the time, I thought I was Romeo, didn't I? I look back now, Jen and I were talking about this week. It's kind of cringe, you know? I mean, I'm sure I was nervous and it, the song was completely off key and it just tells you how good of a woman Jen is. Well, let me just encourage you, don't think of this moment as that. This proposal was, was something so much deeper than romance between two people. See, because for Ruth to propose to this man was, was actually more about Naomi's restoration than her own. Your last kindness is more faithful than your first kindness, he said to her. You could have went after young men, but you're going after me. See, the only way Naomi was going to get that farm back or get the family and, and, and her lineage restored was Ruth. Ruth was still the childbearing age. And as a, a widow of Naomi's son, she alone could marry back into the family and make things right again. See, this proposal, it's not just Ruth's love for Boaz. It's Ruth's love for Naomi. It is, in every sense of the word, a love story. Last week, we talked about what it means to take refuge under the Lord's wing. And now this week, we, we literally watch as Boaz becomes an instrument of that grace. She says, spread your wings, redeem. And again, Boaz is so concerned with keeping God's word that he actually declines to answer her request. He tells her, he said, look, I promise you, you're gonna be redeemed, but there's another kinsman redeemer that stands in line ahead of me. He said, I've got to go ask him for first right of refusal. And we're told in verse 14, he kept the matter private and sent her on her way with six measures of grain as a sign of his covenant with her. Ruth arrives back home. She tells Naomi all the details. And Naomi tells the Ruth, all we got to do now is wait. What does this love story teach us about God when we can't see him? Here's the takeaway. Here's my thought. Even when you can't see God moving in your life, do you realize that he's still pursuing you? Even when you try to take matters into your own hands to ease your anxiety or your fears, do, do you understand that the rest that you could have ultimately is found only in Christ? 
Naomi wanted this redemption so desperately, right, that she, she sends her daughter-in-law into this precarious situation to force the issue. We got to make this happen. And yet what Naomi couldn't see is that every step of the way, even when she saw God as against her, his plan of salvation was working out in her life. Proverbs 16 tells us, you might make your best laid plans, but the Lord directs your steps. See, this concept of, of rest, it's, it's not just a concept for, for Naomi and Ruth. It's a concept for us. There's another scandalous love story in the Bible. This one began with a, a woman pregnant out of wedlock. You remember that story? And just like Boaz, in the moment, her husband planned to keep things quiet to protect her scandal too. And this woman gave birth to a son and that son became not only her kinsman redeemer, but you and I's kinsman redeemer. And much like Boaz, the son made this promise that if you put your faith in my promise, redemption is yours. Like Boaz, he then gave us a meal to seal the word. Boaz left Naomi with grains. He left us with the Lord's supper. And so like Ruth, now it's up to us as, as his bride to wait. To wait for his redemption, to wait for his salvation, to wait for it all to come to fruition. We're gonna find next week, this wasn't just any broken lineage in need of repair. The lineage of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz is the lineage of Jesus Christ. Tori Ten Boom once said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Here's the takeaway. Let me spell it out really clearly. When you can't see the Lord in your life at work, this story invites us again to find rest back in his promises. This morning, I think it's crazy. This is the last time in the entire story that you will hear from Ruth and Naomi. We'll never hear from them again. Because ultimately, we now find that the redemption that they want is not in their hands. It's now in Boaz's hands. It's in God's hands. And I think it's a good reminder for us that as desperately as we try on our own for the security and the stability in life, as hard as we work to ensure our own safety and peace, the only way that we truly find rest is in our Redeemer. St. Augustine once said it like this, and we'll close with this. I hope it sticks with us all week. He said, our souls will always be restless until we find rest in him. Pray with me, will you? God, all we have to do is look back over your word, look back over our lives and realize your faithfulness. Time and time again, we, we know that this, this word that you've given is true, that you're promised that you would never leave us or forsake us, that you've gone to prepare a place for us, Lord, that eternity is ours, that we are protected and under your wing, that we are provided for in the shelter of the most high, that you are our rock that you are the foundation of our lives, the cornerstone. And yet God, so often we just take all those images and just set them to the side and we find ourselves anxious, nervous, frustrated, wanting, wandering, lost, struggling. So God, we ask this morning, would you help us to return back to you and to your promises? Would you help us to know what it is to seek refuge under your wing? God, would you remind us of how it is to find rest, true Sabbath in Jesus' name.
God, you are our strong tower, Lord. We, we pray would you root us back into your grace and your mercy and your love. Lord, such that when we leave this place today, we would become a witness in an anxious world of your steadfast love for us. God, we thank you for this word, Lord. We, we pray that it would bear fruit in our lives, that you would lead us with it. In Jesus' name we trust, and in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen.